Welcome to What's Next, Cornet Global's podcast that puts members on the mic for thought-provoking, profession-shaping conversations and commentary. In this episode, John Aranis, CEO, Serendipity Co-working Lab, discusses the coming workforce disruption. Are you prepared? My name is Stefana Shinta. Uh, I'm a workplace strategist with Callison RTKL. We are pleased to be sponsoring this uh, learning theater this year. Um, and this is John Arenas. Uh, John's done a lot. John is a groundbreaking innovator in both the corporate real estate and hospitality industries. He founded Stratus Business Centers in 1996, which was acquired in 2001 by Regis, the international office suites company. John became the president and GM of Regis America, leading them through restructuring and to an 11-time share price increase. He next launched Worktopia, the first global reservation system for real-time booking of meeting rooms, visual collaboration studios, and group hotel room blocks that was used by American Express Travelocity and several international hotel chains. We're not done. In 2011, he founded his latest venture, Serendipity Labs Coworking, which merges his experience in both the office suite and hospitality industries to deliver an upscale shared office and co-working experience for the 20th century. 21st century workplace, as well as a workplace network for enterprises that meets corporate standards. His vision was to design inviting, inspiring workplaces with an extended footprint in urban and suburban locations in the U.S. and abroad. Each would be imbued with vitality from a mix of members, events, and programming, allowing for serendipitous interactions and helping them reach their fullest potential both professionally and personally. John has an MBA from the Stephen Ross School of Business at the University of Michigan and a BS in Civil Engineering from Rutgers. Welcome, John. Thank you, Stephanie. Um, yeah, that's what happens when you have a PR department. They kind of do that. I, I apologize for all that. But, I, you know, it feels good. It like, pumps you up a little bit before you get started. Um, thank you for being here. I know that there's been a lot of discussion over the last couple of days about the impact of artificial intelligence, robotics, and other technologies on the workplace. And so this is not going to be about that. It's going to be about the impact and what to do about it. And and very practical examples. I'm going to try and bring it down to earth with some examples of companies uh, deploying strategies, particularly against this this situation. And um, maybe you can apply it to your own. And then we'll have some questions. Hopefully we can get get through that. Um, And as you heard, as someone who's been trying uh, to be at the vanguard for the last 20 years, uh, offering workplace solutions that uh, meet the next big thing. We're really excited to be part of that again. So here we go. So I know I promised I wouldn't talk about this, but basically the idea is we have to remember for those people who are listening to the, uh, the podcast that they have no idea what this slide's about if I don't mention it. But there are a couple of slides here that just really set this up, which is that there is a big change coming. We've been hearing about the last couple of days, but it can be uh, manifested in uh, the, the built landscape real estate itself because of the changes in the workforce, how work happens, and where work happens. So we'll kind of leave it there for now. Um, I do want to introduce you to a friend that's a little less benign than the one that was introduced to you at the general session. You saw a little soccer player, if you remember that, and that looked really harmless and cute. Um, This is Atlas. Atlas is also made by uh, Boston Dynamics. And I'm just going to give you a little sense of what kind of work he could do. I say he, but I'm not sure. I don't think we need to go there. 
what's the stuff you could probably do, right? You do it at the gym? Let's see if you can do this one. Okay. Um, that should just give you a little bit of a sense of how things are progressing. I, I would say that that could be, uh, he can climb a ladder, uh, jump, do a backflip, uh, connect a fire hose, dig a hole. He's a, he's a worker. So the next slide, again, just setting this table here a little bit, is, uh, is really a flock of drones. What, um, these drones are not being managed or uh, driven. Uh, they are actually been taught, and they've learned to follow each other. And so they've learned to flock and swarm, which is kind of a, a natural animal behavior, which is a level of intelligence to adjust and adapt um, in, in, the, in the natural setting. Uh, so just, again, a sense of where things are going. Uh, one more you know about uh, visual computing. But this is really, think about it, not just the camera, but the camera connected through the optic nerve to the brain that makes decisions. And we all know this from our own real lives now, but worth noting. And the last one, which is kind of the finale, and it was mentioned again in the general session, is this idea of reaching a level of computing power and algorithm and processing um, to not just uh, solve problems, but to have some sort of intuition. So this is um, kind of a representation of AlphaGo, which is Google's um, uh, AI, AI project that has actually, AlphaGo was able to learn how to play chess in eight hours and beat a grandmaster the same day. Uh, so, but that's just chess. So this, this game called Go is much, much more complex and, ha and really requires intuition. And he just built, uh, beat the world champion Go player. Uh, so again, when you get to this level, it's almost like the Turing test of, can you tell the difference between human and artificial intelligence? And we're getting close. So even though I think in the general session, I'm not going to dispute Berkeley and MIT PhDs. Well, yes, I will. I think that you, it's in the pudding. You have to decide what you think about it um, and how to apply it, which is the important part. So when these things do start to get applied, um, we have been hearing about the workforce being disrupted. What does that mean? It doesn't mean that all jobs are going away. It means that all the jobs, to a certain degree, are, are automatable. How automatable they are depends on the kind of job. So you can see Atlas can do certain jobs that are more or less the gross motor skill jobs. And those are 90, some of those, a per percentage of those are 90% automatable. Um, you get to the next level, craft, technician, repair, maybe 50% automatable. And then you're working your way up to entrepreneur. That's okay. Well, I don't know why that's there. Uh, advanced literacy, this is being able to speak. Uh, and uh, compose uh, and translate, yes, all those. Um, and then the last kind of set is this idea of leadership and negotiation and nuance. So 10% automatable. So if you're in the category of leadership, you're in a good spot for only being 10% automatable. But don't think about it as someone taking some of the jobs. Think about taking it, some, something taking part of some of the jobs. And so that kind of gets us to kind of this augmented workforce. So think about your own workforce today in varying degrees, starting to get augmented by decision-making processes and automated processes. And that, um, to put it in perspective, you think about, you know, 60% of the jobs on average are 30% automatable. And you know what they say about statistics. You have to really watch them. But this is an aggregate number. It probably doesn't apply to a particular job you know about, but it gives you the magnitude. Um, it's $14.7 trillion in value that could be automated. And... One of the interesting things that you know, the researchers are coming up with now is that, as in other advances, industry advances, you have this idea of automation. It's going to be great. It's going to create jobs. You know, the 
a personal computer created 15 million jobs. Uh, a few typists you know, got out of work, maybe, uh, but they maybe learned some keyboarding skills. But there's this lag, and it's, that was very narrow. But when you have uh, this happening across lots of industries, there is a work, uh, workforce skill gap that happens and that is being anticipated. So if job creation lags automation, um, you're thinking about what do you do with the workforce that's already in the middle of their work, uh, in their work career. Uh, or later in their work career. So these things are really important as uh, global you know, office space occupier decision makers or leasing brokers and, and uh, investors and designers because people are going to be changing how they work and what they do and where they go. It's, it's, that part is inevitable. Um, and those are, there are some implications for real estate. Uh, people like to talk about the gig workforce and as if it's somebody else, but really it's all of you, it's me. No matter what company you work for, you're doing a gig, a project. There is a time uh, where maybe that project kind of, or that life cycle changes. So if half the workforce becomes independent, this is not just you know, freelance work. This is meaning half the work is not a full-time employee anywhere. Uh, that is a who – con who controls where they work? Ah, that changes the game, right? PwC has said that it's actually could be as uh, – by 2030, could be as high as 91% uh, of the workforce – as not a full-time employee, uh, so 9% full-time employees. These are, tr these are very big numbers in a very short time frame. So it's just things to think about in terms of implications of real estate. How do you house those people? How do they decide where they're going to work? Um, workplaces become digital and virtual. Decisions are made um, by teams that are remote and that are collaborating. And if you believe JLL, which I like to believe, but we'll, we can talk later, you know, 30% of all workplace being flexible, what does that mean for you, you know, this group as people who are making these decisions? So that could be the case, uh, or it could be a lot of degrees of flexibility. Um, just a couple more things, and we'll get into the examples. Uh, workplace culture. Uh, this is something really near and dear to companies to preserve the culture, employee engagement, customer engagement. All those things are so important, but the reality of, of the way organizations are structured is going to change, and those will become more organisms than or, uh, organizations where there are um, movement at the edges of, uh, of how, how the company advances and works together. Um, and then the last kind of implication for real estate is infrastructure itself. If people are choosing where they want to work and not necessarily having to travel to work, do you need the same transportation systems and roads and infrastructure, or is it a totally different one? I work uh, with a, a joint venture partner in, in uh, Frisco who's actually got a landing site for the first Uber taxi uh, in Frisco. Uh, it's not operating yet, but the fact that he secured those rights means things are happening. So infrastructure, roads, uh, everyone wanted the light rail forever. Do you really need it? In which way are people commuting? Are they commuting into the city or out of the city? Um, and sir, I'm sorry. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. So exurban, the question was, uh, what is exurban? So there's been a big movement. Good segue to the next slide. Uh, good, uh, there's been a big movement and thinking about urbanization and, and people moving to the cities and particularly millennials moving to the cities as they age out uh, into, well, oldest millennials are 38 now. So move to the suburbs. Um, it becomes not just not urban, but not even suburban, but exurban, which is that it does where they live isn't defined by suburban or urban. It could be rural. Uh, so because people can work remotely and, and collaborate remotely, For, not all the time. It's not binary, but more more than before. Okay, so 
you probably didn't know this, that suburban offices are cool again. Hopefully you guys have some and then you feel good about that, but that is happening. If you don't believe uh, Bloomberg, then ask Brookings uh, Institute, and they will tell you that U.S. population has dispersed to the suburbs and exurbs um, and the middle of the country. And someone, as someone who lives in New York, that's really frightening um, because, you know, the, everyone always talks in New York like there's no other place. But so, yeah, so that is a, um, that's a trend that, also um, becomes part of the decision matrix and calculus for uh, occupying decisions. Um, the other kinds of decisions are happening based, because there's more data. There's more stuff to look at. This is a, a Cisco Meraki um, map of who's inside a location of your, well, our place, um, and how, um, how they're connected to the network or not connected to the network, yet we can still see where they are and where they're moving, and we can check presence, and are they, for safety and security, are they inside? Now, what do you do with all this data? Uh, there are a lot of great things you could do with it. It's not just a sensor on the wall in the conference room anymore. It's and not just even in one location, but it's how are people traversing the whole network of your locations and your whole footprint. So it's getting kind of, it's getting kind of a lot of stuff going on. So um, as decision makers, you've got a lot of stuff to work with, uh, support, uh, agility, your brand, all these things, security, trust, all very, very important. And what we want to do is develop a strategy, right? Because that's what we said we were going to do today. Um, let's, just, let's talk about a specific situation. I want to introduce you to uh, Deanna Mulligan. She is the CEO of Guardian Life Insurance. Um, for disclosure purposes, they are a customer, but they're also an investor, which gets to her strategy a little bit. Um, she, Guardian Life is a... 150-year-old Fortune 250 company, has 9,000 employees, 2,700 independent agents, a distribution partner network. And if you're Deanna Mulligan 10 years ago, you're thinking, well, if workplace is changing, I think she was thinking that then because she has some great strategy. She was thinking, and we sell our insurance products, we sell all of our products through companies to employees, life insurance, dental, all that stuff. And people are no longer going to be working as full-time employees for companies, how do I get to them? And so she's thinking about that strategy and saying, I've got to be disruptive myself. I can't get disrupted. And so she's got a transformational strategy that is to disrupt preemptively, like disrupt yourself, your own organization. And that's, that is a strategy that's hard to do, especially in a 158-year-old insurance company, you can imagine. Um, the other is to focus on attracting talent. That sounds really easy, but in her case, it's attracting um, it's attracting the agents, and those are agent small companies of 5, 10, 20 people that are selling her product. So what she's uh, worked out to do, uh, with us in this case, is to compete for that talent by providing workplace for her agencies in a network of locations of Serendipity Labs in this case. Um, also, she is enabling uh, AI, uh, robotic process automation, and augmented work, um, and training her team's uh, and reducing, reducing a, a lot of um, overhead, um, which is required to reskill the workforce. So all of that together gets us to where we're going, which is had to redefine the workplace. And let's just see what she did. And you can see this kind of on a map. Um, started out with 846,000 square feet in Hanover Square in lower Manhattan and realized uh, after studying it that most of her people lived in northern New Jersey and they were commuting in <laughs> because they had to. Um, and so they uh, put a 90,000 square feet down in Homedale, New Jersey. They've just moved in. Uh, they also opened an operation in, um, 
in Pennsylvania over, and over in uh, near Easton. And um, that's for 220,000 square feet, and that's really back office operation. And what that enabled her to do was to reduce a lot of square footage. So this sounds like a real estate play. Uh, so she reduced square footage there and then added into that, layered over that, a network of a third-party provider. Again, uh, sorry for the advertisement, but it's an example of having, uh, having her enable her workforce with places to work close to home but not at home, avoid a commute, disaster, you know, business continuity, um, and also just uh, being able to attract the top talent. So, um, and then they had the, the um, decision to move out of uh, Hanover Square and move into Hudson Yards into a really gorgeous building um, and only take 100,000 square feet. So they cut their footprint just in the, the headquarters footprint by half a million, by almost half a million square, 400,000 square feet, so about 50%. Um, so there's the old place to go to work. Uh, there's the uh, Eastern Pennsylvania, uh, New Jersey, and uh, the new headquarters. So it's an example of thinking all the way through because of changes in automation, changes in the workforce, and how people are, are working today means that getting to the customer is harder. Uh, another um, kind of, I could, I don't know, how are we doing on time there? Are we just about there? Got two minutes. Okay, so why don't we do this? Um, We'll spare you the advertisement. It's not really an advertisement, but it's, it's actually, a, I'll give you one little thing to think about, and then we can have some questions. So this is an example of a company that um, has 5,000 employees. It's got five major cities with the stars and another dozen locations with 20,000 square feet or under. And what we're able to do is layer over uh, our network of locations and, ha and give them the opportunity to eliminate uh, about 250,000 square feet uh, by having a flexible place to work that is attractive. And, and oftentimes these are legacy, as you probably know and have some yourself, some legacy situations where it's maybe not the best utilized real estate uh, and it might be time to roll out of them. So there's some opportunity there. Um, we also have a camp, uh, some using us as an extension of their campus. This is actually a, a, a media company in, in Hollywood uh, who's used us for 120 people uh, for private, secure, a branded experience, um, and then, actually, the, the slide before that, I left the name up there because they let us. That's a technology security company that works inside of a facility uh, with uh, offices for 35 people, but also an additional 30 people that just use it as drop-in uh, because we have that capability. So thinking about using your um, workplace strategy to deliver on flexibility, agility, and, and satisfaction so you can attract top talent, but also to reach the customer you're ultimately trying to reach. And I'll kind of close with an example of Steelcase. And Steelcase, uh, we got together with Steelcase at the very beginning of Serendipity Labs because they, um, they became an investor, kind of like Guardian. They became an investor, and the reason why is not because they wanted to sell furniture, which would be a rational reason for Steelcase to be, be an investor, but the reason is they wanted to deliver on, they want to understand how to deliver on workplace experience and how the workplace was evolving. So the data that they get about how we operate and how people really work as opposed to kind of people on panels uh, talk, telling you about it is really, really valuable. So those are very deep strategic kind of commitments to the workplace going forward. And it's something to think about in your own organization. The good thing is there are some um, products out there. You can meet with, you know, the few, several of us that are out here that actually in, you know, we work in IWG and Convenient Prop may have heard of it today. To, to use those market-ready products to augment, to add to something you're already doing. So um, that's really it. Um, 
my little guy up there, anyone want to know what that is? No? No one wants to know? Um, okay, I'm not going to tell you that. You have to look it up. Any questions? So is anyone, all, is anyone in the process of uh, developing a strategy to, for this? Sounds, yeah. Right, so like corporate working, you're, uh, so that's basically co-working within the company, creating a shared desk, assigned desk, mobility, drop-in, all of that. And that, actually, that's a good thing. We see four or five years ago, when we were starting out, companies really hadn't invented their own workplace yet. And we've seen so much of that now that their entire workforces are now trained to do that. And so it's, uh, it's become an extension for us. Well, thank you. Thank you. I think I am out of time. So I thank you for your time, and I appreciate it. Thanks. Thank you for tuning in to What's Next. Have an idea or a point of view? Want to record a podcast of your own? Visit cornetglobal.org forward slash podcast.